Welcome to the intersection of faith and the culture. It's Wall Builders, and we're taking on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. That includes topics like education, which will be our topic today. But of course, we cover the gamut everything from entertainment and uh, journalism to education, like we'll cover today, as well as all the different political issues and uh, money and finance and, and biblical, uh, honest weights and measures. I mean, you go down the list, every single subject, every single thing that we face in life. The Bible has something to say about it. Everything that we face in life, uh, there's a way to do that correctly in our particular constitutional republic. And everything we face in life, we can learn something from history because there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon was correct. And the laws of nature and nature's God don't change. So the principles that the founders put in place with our Declaration of Independence and with our Constitution, those principles haven't changed. You know, very often, unfortunately, we adopt the wrong principles. We, we try to change the country by changing the principles that are poured into the culture, but if we get back to those biblical principles of liberty, they will once again produce prosperity and peace and abundance and benevolence and all of those things. If we continue to adopt the principles of tyranny, they will produce famine and shortages and chaos and war and all of those things. As Noah Webster said, all the miseries and evils which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, slavery, and war— proceed from there neglecting or despising the precepts contained in the Bible. That's why we give you that biblical perspective as we address all of these issues. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach, serving alongside David and Tim Barton, David's America's premier historian and our founder here at Wall Builders, Tim Barton, national speaker and pastor and president of Wall Builders. All right, guys, Danita Miskaman is our guest a little later. She's doing the one-room schoolhouse. It's literally a red schoolhouse. And uh, looking forward to, to talking to her. I, I think we're going to see more and more, oh, what's the right word? Almost entrepreneurship in education as we go forward. More and more people are realizing that, you know, the public school system's failing. And so they're looking for alternatives. And, and she's doing exactly that. But before we have her on, let's just talk about education in general. In fact, we had our legislators conference last weekend, and y'all had several talks on the purpose of education. Why do we even do education in the first place? Because all these new ways of educating certainly need to accomplish the main goal. Yeah, for sure. With education, there's been a real change. Uh, it used to be that students were individuals, and now they're part of groups. And there's so much that has changed through progressive education. And back in the 1920s, especially, new policies came out. Uh, you know, Tim has talked before about how that literally, they literally said at that time, hey, we got assembly lines, this is the Industrial Revolution, et cetera, and we need people who take orders, not think for themselves. And we need people on assembly lines who do what they're told. And so they really changed education to take thinking away from it and just create a bunch of learners. And we'll tell you what to learn and we'll guide you. We'll tell you what food to eat. We'll tell you what food you're going to like. We'll tell you exactly when you can eat it. And, and so it, it progressive really changed everything. And part of what they did is if you think of the way schools used to be, there used to be a lot of country schools and they got into consolidation for whatever reason, progressive thing, pulling things together and having more of it in one place is a good thing. And they don't look at individuals, they look at groups. So they, they love cities. They love big cities. They're, they're not for the country folk. They're for the city folk. And they love pulling people together and things together and having groups. And it used to be the country schools were all about individuals. And so you might have a school with 110, 120 kids in it. And today they would close that down and consolidate it with something else. And so 
the the progressive education has been consolidate, 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 consolidate. And it used to be, no, we want schools that reflect the community, that are part of the community, that can deal directly with the kids in the community. And there's such a difference. And one of the things I have been really intrigued with, and I was able to talk to some one-room schoolhouse teachers that are in public schools, because in Nebraska, you still have some one-room schoolhouses. And that's still the same in South Dakota and still the same in Montana and Wyoming. And my question to them was, man, you've got an entire school that you have maybe 25 kids in the entire school, and you got everything from K through 12. How do you how do you teach courses, maybe five or six or seven different courses, math and reading and science, everything else, and you're doing it for 12 to 13 grades, and you only got 25? How do you do that? And they said, you know, it's really important that you use the kids as teachers. You teach the kids something, let the kids teach the younger kids. And so you'd focus some on the older kids and making sure they knew, and then they would become the teachers of the younger kids. And that's really the way a lot of homeschooling does as well, is the older kids help teach the younger kids. Well, and what a skill. Oh, it is. What a great skill too, right? I mean, that's going to ma- mature those kids that are, instead of them just being with only kids their age, now they're learning to mentor, they're learning, to, and when you regurgitate something, you learn it better, right? When you're teaching it to somebody else, that's brilliant. Oh, it, it is brilliant, and it's it's really kind of the family model. Uh, our friend Tim Brooks, with what they have in, in Brook Hill Ranch and what he started there, and now David Page running that, we talk about it a lot, and leader, the leadership programs there, but the cool thing about Brook Hill Ranch is they divide the cabins really into like your family. And, and so they put ages together that are really kind of dissimilar rather than having all the third graders in one bunkhouse. You, you've really kind of got older brothers and youngers and 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 just it's a, it's a good family situation. It reflects what you have in a family instead of trying to make it not family. And, and so seeing younger education like that really is fun when they do that one room schoolhouse kind of approach. Well, and even to clarify that at, at Brook Hill, uh, th- this is something where I, I have such fond memories of camp. I was a camper there for seven years, was a counselor for seven years, uh, still get to go up every summer uh, and, and connect with my friends that are still running the camp. And it's third through ninth graders together in a bunkhouse. And, and they challenge the, the eighth and ninth graders to be leaders in the bunkhouse. They, they, they're junior counselors or high school students. So sophomore, juniors, seniors, their senior counselors are or their lead counselors are students in college. Uh, and it's that it's really just kind of going up to scale, but they're working together and everybody's kind of challenged to lead those who are following behind you. And as everybody leads those following behind, it helps everybody to connect. Everybody gets noticed, uh, but also everybody gets challenged to grow and exert some leadership skills and ability. And this is certainly something lacking in so much of the modern educational climate and in that philosophy and pedagogy. We have taken time over the years to go through how much progressive changed and what they changed. And we certainly can take time and and break some of that down today, although it would probably take more than we have uh, opportunity on the you know 20 whatever minutes we have left of this program. But the reality is when progressives came in and took over, their their goal wasn't to focus on individuals. Their goal was to have a a mass uh, assembly line, just like they were, <laughs> they were trying to get workers in the assembly line. And for those who want to do a little more research into this, if you go back to uh, to Rockefeller, who was the one starts one of the very first uh, educational foundations, uh, starts off he gives a million dollars to it. I think it was 1903. I think by 1907 he put 43 million dollars into it. We're talking 1907. So if we're looking at tens of millions of dollars in 1907, 
I, I'm only guessing, but I'm feeling like that's got to be in the billions of dollars. But there was nothing, nothing like this as far as academics were concerned. And their goal was they wanted to have better workers for the factories. They, they didn't need better thinkers. Because it, 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 it also, by the way, there's, there's a logic on some level in this because you have people, if the goal is to expand more factories and have more workers in the factories, you don't need people in the factory that are going to say, hey, I had this idea. What if we did it this way? Because the leader's going to say, no, just right, put, put, put the nut and bolt together. Just do your job. We don't need you thinking for yourself. But, but because of it, they shifted education. And they try to make everybody the same. This is also part of socialism where everybody is the same, acts the same, behaves the same. And so they started saying, if you're in the same uh, age, you're going to be in the same grade. And, and, and we need to have you for longer and we need to train you more. And now it's not about you learning critical thinking ability, critical skills, uh, reasoning and logic. And that's, that's not a priority. Instead, what we want to do is we want to have you be able to regurgitate whatever you are told. How well can you follow orders? This is the most important thing. And, and this is where we see this major shift in education. And obviously what it's done over the last 60, 80, 100 years has not produced the results that has been healthy for students and ultimately as beneficial for the nation as education should be. When we look at the fact right now that according to the Department of Education, there's approximately 19% of graduating seniors from public school, 19% who are functionally illiterate, who cannot read or write, clearly when one out of five of the students in public school are graduating illiterate, this is not a, 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 a this system is not working, right? This, this is not a, a program that should be repeated. And yet this is so much what's happening. So anytime we see people breaking away, it's one of the things we've talked about a lot with COVID as so many Parents have said, we're going to try something different and homeschooling now is just booming. We celebrate people that recognize the brokenness of the system and want to do something different. And certainly when you determine that you're going to open a one room schoolhouse and you're going to go back and kick it old school, when we used to be the number one educational place in the world with academic achievement, academic performance, uh, absolutely. This is super impressive. So I'm very excited to, to hear part of this conversation. I like that. I like that. Kick it old school style. Uh, but I do think that you are ignoring so many of the accomplishments of the public school system. You know, you said they're not learning to do all of those things that they should be learning. But hey, they're really learning to get in touch with their feelings. Uh, they're learning all kinds of, you know, 147 genders. You know, they're they're learning a lot of stuff that probably they shouldn't be learning. Not probably. They definitely shouldn't be learning. So the school is accomplishing what they want to accomplish. It's just not what most parents want them to accomplish. And Danita Miskamin has put her finger on that. She said enough of that, and she's providing a great opportunity for kids. So she'll be with us when we come back from the break. Stay with us, folks. You're listening to Wall Builders. This is Tim Barton from Wall Builders with another moment from American history. In 1963, the United States Supreme Court decided that voluntary Bible reading could no longer be part of the school day. Founding Father Benjamin Rush, known as the father of public schools under the Constitution, pointedly warned that the Bible should be read in schools in preference to all other books. He specifically warned that if America ever ceased promoting biblical principles in schools, then we would waste so much time and money in punishing crimes and take so little pains to prevent them. He was right. We now have 7 million Americans in prison, on probation or on parole. 
and the United States has the highest incarceration rate in the world. Sadly, this was unnecessary, but is the result of no longer teaching the morals of the Bible in schools. For more information about the Founding Fathers' views on the positive impact of the Bible in schools, go to wallbuilders.com. Danita Miskamen is with us, and I love this story, folks. I'm telling you, we need this to be duplicated a thousandfold across the country. Danita has started her own one-room schoolhouse, and it's even a red schoolhouse. This is so cool. Anyway, Danita, thanks for joining me. Thanks for coming on today. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Well, I, I'm a big believer in in competition, school choice, parents being able to have all kinds of options out there. Every kid's not the same. Uh, and I love learning environments like what you've created at your schoolhouse, uh, where it's not just in the classroom all the time. You're doing all kinds of cool stuff. So I don't even know where to start. I'm so excited about this. I want people to duplicate what you're doing. So just tell us what, first of all, uh, as an educator for, I guess, a couple of decades, if I read the article right, what caused you to, to branch out and do something so different? So Rick, I was in public school for 23 years, and I guess it was about my 22nd year I really got on my knees at the end of that school year, and I told God, I said, I can't do this anymore. Um, Virginia had some backwards um, thoughts about girls and boys using the same bathroom. Um, they also started initiatives that were allowing pornography in our libraries. And the clothing that children were allowed to wear to school was against my belief system. So I went to administration, I told administration that I really felt strongly that we were in the wrong direction. And when I realized that I wasn't going to get anywhere with that, I wasn't going to make changes with a broken system. It's fragmented, it's broken, and I don't see it ever repairing itself. So I got on my knees and I said, God, we've got to change this. I, don't, I want to be part of the solution. I don't want to be part of the problem. And God just laid on my heart, let's build a school. And I said, yeah, let's build a school. And so I asked him, I said, where should we build the school at? I don't know where to begin. I'm a teacher, not a builder. And he really laid in my heart again, we're going to build it at the farm. We have a 25-acre agritourism event farm in Dewey County, Virginia, and it was just perfect. We have the land. We live in a really nice community where it was like in between Richmond and Petersburg. So it wasn't going to be a, a really long way for people to drive to come to the school. And I thought this would be perfect. So um, I went with God hand in hand the entire time working on building the school. I put out on social media that I needed help. I didn't know where to begin. And people, one right after another, offered their expertise for free of charge. And I paid for the supplies for like my electrician. He came in and put hundreds of hours in the school, never charged me for his wow. labor. And other people were the same. And before we knew it, we had a school building built here um, in, on the farm. And we have 21 children now that attend school. And they learn about Jesus every day. They learn about the Pledge of Allegiance, what that means, why we say it. They learn true history, um, and they also have their academics, their reading and their writing. They're ahead of most public school students already at their age. And wait a minute, wait also, a minute, Danita, I got I to gotta stop you. That just sounds so dangerous. That sounds like you might actually be raising children to, to love the nation in which they live and, and be good citizens. I mean, wow, that sounds so radical. Well, it is radical if you're in the public school system. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm telling you. But it's what our founding fathers expected. Exactly. Exactly. And and you just said something very important. I hope I hope parents are listening to this and they're performing ahead of the other 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 students. So so I mean you're you're adding all of this stuff that the public school's not doing and you're teaching this great stuff 
and yet they're ahead in the basic stuff that they're supposed to be going to school to learn anyway. That is correct. Here in Virginia, 50% of our children that are between third and eighth grade do not pass the minimal standards of learning that we give to them each year. And when I saw those statistics come out this past week, I thought, Lord, have mercy. We're doing something right here because I have kindergartners that leave kindergarten reading second, third, and fourth grade levels. And it's the same level system that your public school uses. So I know we're doing it right. We teach kindergartners how to read. They lead learning how to read. The children that come to us with those um, gaps in their learning, we're repairing those gaps as soon as they come into our school. And then we're pushing forward and they are on schedule. They're learning all that they need to know. They're reading and writing. It's incredible. Uh, We wrote a book last year as a school and um, all the parents have a copy of the book. It's just, we're doing amazing things here. We're, we're learning the way we are supposed to learn. We don't have all this indoctrination going on, this woke indoctrination that our public school system is pushing on our children. Yeah. We're going back to the basics. We're learning homesteading too, Rick. How about that? <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. And they're learning great skills for life. So the Little Red Schoolhouse, I mean, how does a student or a family participate, I mean, financially? Like, how do they, what are the options for them where, where you live in terms of, okay, I'm going to leave the public school that's that's paid for, or maybe they're leaving a private school that they're paying for, but what are their options with you when they come in? Unfortunately, in Virginia, we don't have what other states have. We don't have school choice yet. So I'm hoping that that's going to change with Governor Youngkin. I'm not certain that that's going to happen under his tenure, but we are still pushing for that option. So parents have to pay out of pocket to come to school. Our tuition at our school is below the average tuition here in Virginia. It's at $6,000. And um, we break that up to help the parents during the year. Um, but the parents that come are more than willing to pay their tuition. They don't have to pay for supplies. We don't have computers that they have to pay for here. Everything else the school pays for to help parents as much as possible. Um, yeah. And we also get donations from the public. We just did a huge interview with Epic Times, and we received some donations that were able to resupply our um, school supply list. So we don't have to go back to the parents or ever, hopefully, and ask them for supplies. So it works out. God's good to us. He gives us exactly yeah. what we need, when we need it. And um, yeah. the children are thriving. They're excelling, and the parents are very happy. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's, less than half of of the average i know here in texas anyway and probably in in, in virginia as well of of what it costs what the, what the schools are, are are spending and uh and the results i mean is, are just incredible what's the age range right now for the little red schoolhouse so the age range right now is four years old up to fifth grade and um, we are franchising we're working on that right now getting that agreement all ironed out with the firm that's going to be helping us and um, hopefully we'll see Little Red Schoolhouse as a pop- popping up everywhere around our country um, and giving I back so to our too. nation what our nation has given to us. Now, if somebody's listening and they say, hey, I'm, I'm in, I want to do a Little Red Schoolhouse in my neighborhood or in my state, how do they contact you? I know you're, you're, you want to see this spread across the country and, and people are looking for help on how to do this kind of thing. How can they get a hold of you? Certainly. So they can contact us at www. The Red Barn Farm VA.com, and uh, we will return a response to them. We want to make certain that we find the right believers that are out there who have a little sliver of land. Um, I've got a lady in Florida who said that she's going to partner with me so that we can put some goats and chickens out there to help them if they don't already have that established. 
that you don't have to live on a farm to have a little red schoolhouse, but you do have to have enough property so that you can have a little micro farm and place to grow and teach the children that hands-on science aspect that they're, they want so badly. And um, then, you know, we'll take it from there. God is good. And for those Amen. that want it, we're going to make sure that they get it because there are so many children out there that need to step out of the public school system and step yeah. into something like this that is very nurturing, very positive, and takes them back to the basics, learning about Jesus, learning about their forefathers, and also learning about being self-sustainable gardeners. Love it. Love it. Danita, God bless you. Keep it up. <laughs> and we want to see this spread all over the country. Give, give, give us that website one more time before we sign off here. www.theredbarnfarmva.com. That's good. All right, folks, we'll have a link today for you on our website. Make sure you check it out. Danita, God bless you. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Rick. We appreciate it. Have a good day. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back with David and Tim Barton. Hey guys, we want to let you know about a new resource we have at Wall Builders called The American Story. For so many years, people have asked us to do a history book to help tell more of the story that's just not known or not told today. And we would say very providentially in the midst of all of the new attacks coming out against America, whether it be from things like the 1619 Project that say America is evil and everything in America was built off slavery, which is certainly not true, or things like even the Black Lives Matter movement, the organization itself, not not the statement Black Lives Matter, but the organization that says we're against everything that America was built on and this is part of the Marxist ideology. There's so many things attacking America. Well, is America worth defending? What is a true story of America? We actually have written and told that story. Starting with Christopher Columbus, going roughly through Abraham Lincoln, we tell the story of America not as the story of a perfect nation or a perfect people, but the story of how God used these imperfect people and did great things through this nation. It's a story you want to check out. Wallbuilders.com, The American Story. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us on Wall Builders. Thanks to Danita Miskamit for joining us and for her good work out there in Virginia, helping to give kids a great educational environment. We're back with David and Tim Barton. Guys, love seeing this and uh, love seeing kids learning these things. You know, imagine that actually feeding chickens and everything else. They're going to get some work ethic as well while they're on the farm there. Well, the work ethic is really big when you start bringing that farm kind of life into it. Uh, I, I remember very clearly it's years ago, but when I was in New York City the first time as a Texan, I got in that city. I got in a traffic jam going through the Holland Tunnel uh, on a Friday afternoon. It took me three hours to make two blocks of traffic. And I, I just I looked in, I looked at all the people. I went into a store to buy something in the store, and the guy yelled at us because I wasn't moving fast enough. He said, you're here to rob me. And if you didn't walk to the counter and immediately say exactly what you wanted when you ordered your food, he would just skip you. I mean, the whole thing was above above me. And I said, I, I do not have a single idea why any person would voluntarily live in New York City, why you didn't just pack up, leave everything you've got if you have to, but get out of town. And it was so interesting because one of the ministries we're involved with would take young people from the city out to Long Island where there was actually some country. And we met people in the city who were 65, 70 years old and had never left a six block area in the city. Never owned a car, but everything they needed was in six blocks. They're all in buildings that may be 60 stories high, but in the six blocks, you got your medical, you got your grocery, you got your schools, you got your everything, and they'd never been out of the city. And so we would take these kids out to the countries and literally 
it was so amazing to see for the first time they felt grass with their feet. They'd take their socks and shoes off and they never felt grass before. They would see the animals and say, what's that? Well, that's a cow. A cow? Yeah, that's where you get milk. That's not where we get milk. We get it at the store. I mean, it, literally, they had not a clue about anything. So you start catching a real part of life when you start getting involved in, in country life, which is so good. And, and Rick, you, you were making the sarcastic comment. Is, Wait, you're, you're teaching kids to love their country? But isn't that weird <laughs> that we have to be sarcastic about that comment now? I mean, that mm, used to be yeah. core for what education was. And teaching kids to love and appreciate America is such a big deal now. And it shouldn't be, but I'm glad she's doing it. Well, guys, this is something, too, that it reminds me of some of the studies that we have seen, especially for elementary students, where we find out that they, they do as much uh, mental development and, and social learning out on the playground as, as any kind of, of learning development comprehension they get inside the classroom. And, and so often, I, I mean, really, we can go back and track what progressives did when they said we want them to know a certain amount of things. But those things need to be the things that we have programmed. So they need to memorize and regurgitate these things. And I mean, it really was this indoctrination idea. It wasn't about developing the whole person. And education used to be very much more about developing the entire person, which is also why those those videos of what PE class used to be like uh, back when JFK was, was promoting his initiative for PE. And you're looking going, man, that's crazy. I don't think professional sports teams could do what these basic PE classes are doing full of students, but it, there used to be a different philosophy of educating the whole person. And so certainly when when you are seeing a school take this kind of approach, this is so much healthier and it will definitely produce the the kind of results that we were hoping would be coming from education and certainly something that is much better for those students and much better for this nation. And by the way, like she said, we need other people to do this, to replicate this. We need other people starting one-room schoolhouses across communities all across the country. This is so healthy for students and we need a lot more of this. This is where we came from. It'd be a good place to get back to. And it's a big part of why we why we highlight folks like this on Wall Builders. We're hoping you as the listeners out there, you hear that, you get inspired, you want to do something in your community and you take up that torch and, and be a part of the solution there in your community. So keep listening, but also acting and doing things like what Danita's doing. Or maybe you don't have to start the school, but there's somebody, there's a church that's starting a school. I remember in a Good News Friday recently, David, you were talking about a school there in uh, Loudoun County, Virginia. I mean, those types of things, when they happen, our listeners can come alongside those schools, support them financially, just getting the word out there, sending your kids there. There's lots of ways to be involved, folks. Thanks so much for listening today. You've been listening to Walt Builders. Stand undivided.